0: my magical friends. My name's Ayumi, my pronouns are she, her, hers, and you're listening to Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Whether it's your first or 158th time listening, we welcome you to our space to celebrate magical girls from every corner of the world. We have a little bit of news and then we'll get to today's topic. So let's get started. So first we have some news regarding Magical Girl games, the first one being one we've talked about before, which is called This Way Madness Lies. This is a Shakespearean Magical Girl adventure, and um, this originally came out on Steam a while back, but it is being released on Nintendo Switch. So it's got a new trailer and um, lots of new buzz going for that release, so that's exciting. Also means I can play it. <laughs> Next is the announcement of a game that we don't know the release date for yet, but it's called Sophie's Starlight Whispers. And it's developed by Youth Gaming, published by Astrolabe. And we don't really know a whole lot about it, except that it's about a girl named Sophie with magical powers. And she's in a fantasy kingdom. So uh, the art looks really interesting. And um, yeah, we can uh, link to it in the show notes so you can check it out for yourself and decide if you would like to get it whenever that comes out. Finally, in some really obscure (laughs) Magical Girl news, um, the independent film Parallel Parallel is coming out in Japanese theaters and by which I mean really only one Japanese theater in Shinjuku. It's an independent film after all. And it's only going to be showing for about a week, but the important thing about this is at the end, after, after the film is finished, there will also be a short film called Artificial Magical Girl kaini We don't know really anything about it, we just have a few stills in some news press releases. But uh, it's interesting, and I hope we can actually see the film for ourselves, for anyone who can't be in Shinjuku for that one week in July. But still, it is uh, cool to know, you know, whatever this turns out to be. Let's go on to today's topic. So today is a doozy and, uh, I mean, in a way, very delightful. Um, You know, it helps when you bring on a friend to your podcast. The only problem being that you can end up talking and talking and talking for so long that even after you edit down the episode, it's still two whole hours. So I do apologize for those of you who don't like long episodes. But for those who do, I guess you're welcome. (laughs) But yes, so we are talking today about the fourth season of Sailor Moon, Sailor Moon Supers. Sometimes people call it Super-S. You'll hear us use both terms in this episode. And by we, I mean myself and Kat. Kat has been previously on to talk about Symphagear, and they're a very big fan of all kinds of magical girls. So I'm sure they will be back on in a later time, on a later episode. But yeah, it was so delightful to talk to them, and... um Just get into all the the good and the bad of this season. Despite the fact that this is a show for kids and all of that. We do have to give warnings for metaphorical sexual assault slash rape. Weird sexualization of minors. But like in a way that's kind of light. It's mostly in text (laughs) rather than anything we see visually but still there. And since in Sailor Moon of course we have the continued problematic age gap relationship between our two main um our main love interests our main couple of the show but and also a new one of those with our new couple question mark of this season in particular it's a rough one for a lot of reasons um also i should mention one more thing that probably was already clear by this point but there are just dis- pretty deliberate discussions of pedophilia Um, in that there are at least two characters that show literal interest in children. Another one can be argued, and it's, yeah, not good. Just a lot of stuff going on this season. Still worth watching somehow, but (laughs) still, if you are not really comfortable with those topics, feel free to avoid this episode for this week. And um, yeah, next week will be a lot better on that front, uh, if I recall correctly. Yeah, it's a pretty good one. So yeah, um with that, let's get into today's chat about Sailor Moon SuperS with Cat. <music>
1: here to talk about Sailor Moon Supers, also commonly known as Super S, from 1995, and I'm very delighted to have on a returning guest. Can you please introduce yourself?
2: Hi, I am Kat. I am the host king of the podcast Sword of Symphonies, where my good cool friends playtest my game, and the choir master of Roar to Heaven, where different cool friends play (laughs) my other game and are punished. I also have an upcoming talk show, yes, that Ayumi's partially responsible for TBA. Yeah. Oh, yes,
1: interesting. Okay, I did not know
2: this. this is... <laughs> yeah, I've got a talk show coming up. It's called Take Flight, where an inexperienced game designer sits down for ninety minutes with a more experienced one to ask them questions and get advice, and chat can get in on the action too. Our goal is to help people get their dream game off the runway and into the sky. That sounds awesome. I am, I am, Ta-da.
1: I had no idea that my silly question about asking for help
2: was the prompt for this. So that's very exciting. <laughs> well, I realized you and a couple of my friends had approached me to talk about like getting started in game design. And I realized that whenever I have this conversation with someone, it's genuinely the most fun I can have. So I was like, I want to. I not only want to have this conversation with more and more and more people and help people seize this uh, this feeling they've got and try this out for themselves, but I also want to share the fun of this conversation with with a chat, with an audience, Mm -hmm, and with mm -hmm. lots of other creators. Yeah, um, I didn't like
1: (laughs) submit myself because I was like, okay, I have these ideas. they're not even remotely near ready to like be discussed. Yeah, yeah. Listeners to the podcast already know one of my ideas is for a um, yeah Mary Poppins slash Babysitter Club slash slash Phantom Thief style like Saint Tail style uh, like game. And then,
2: that's so cute.
1: <laughs> thank you, thank you. And then my other game is just straight up: How do we make Final Fantasy Ten Two into a TTRPG? Uh, <laughs> that's my other
2: idea. <laughs> oh I was not expecting that oh yes 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 yes. (laughs) 10-2 might be the most mechanically satisfying Final Fantasy game yeah I think that's probably why I've played it like a hundred times over (laughs) wow I have I'd be lying if I said I hadn't also been like how can I capture this satisfying mechanic in a TTRPG so I (laughs) that's thrilling that's thrilling so,
1: future collaboration is official in the works, I guess. <laughs> you know where to find me. You
2: call me yes. literally
1: anytime. <laughs> great. Well, by the way, we didn't, I forgot to
2: ask before, but what are your pronouns? Oh, sorry. My pronouns are mostly they, them, although I will not be upset with she, her. Okay, great.
1: So, yeah, before we get off on another tangent, um, I'd like to ask you, Kat. What have you been enjoying in the magical girl genre since your last time on the podcast
2: soaring sky precure (laughs) it's so good Mm -hmm. i fell off it because i just got busy but Mm. i need to go back because it's so good it's so special and like as you might have guessed i was really deep in my soaring sky feelings when i named take flight ah that makes sense I love the feeling of the wide open sky. It's optimistic and positive and hopeful. Mm. All this flying motifs, all the characters in Soaring Sky are super lovable. Like every time I watch it with friends, they accuse Ageha of reminding them of me and i love that for me and her <laughs> i'm curious um then about
1: how far along are you
2: i got past the episode where um um uh, mashero is really worried about what her dream is and what kind of her life is shaping into and mm-hmm. subasa and uh sora have to like fight the monster while screaming about how cool and good she is (laughs) yes that was a very good episode oh that was such a good episode Mm.
1: yes and from our chats i'm i'm under the impression that cure wing is your favorite character but
2: uh i'm not sure if that's a correct assumption yeah but from our chats you've seen that every time i watch an episode i post a gif of Ageha with the words her next to it every time she appears (laughs) i love her i haven't yes. made it to cure butterfly yet but i love her so much oh you are gonna love that episode it is very good but i do also really love cure Wing. he's just the cutest mm-hmm. he's just a sweet cute little nerd and the baby loves him so much and he loves the baby <laughs> yes yes they're, i just they're love very that mm-hmm. i love i also love the baby <laughs> like, <laughs> Listener, listen, you're about to hear some things come out of my mouth over the course of this episode. I am a sucker for animals and children. Genuinely, I am. I love wow. them.
1: <laughs> okay. Very relevant to today's uh, chat. Very
2: relevant <laughs> to today's <laughs> chat.
1: Yeah.
2: I've also been like enjoying in the genre, I've also been playing Blazing Him with my friends. Mm. I've been running a couple regular groups and punishing my friends with gear inspired <laughs> uh, violence. Also, I've watched *Symphogear* a couple more times. Fantastic! Yes, <laughs> uh, it's
1: interesting. You said that like you are specifically punishing people while playing *Blazing Him* because I am actually in the middle of uh, catching up with sort of symphonies, and I feel like sometimes you are kind of punishing your <laughs> group there.
2: Oh my god. I'm so glad that I hope you're enjoying Sword of Symphony. Oh, I, I really am. Um, oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. <laughs> you're telling me yeah. this while I'm being recorded. How dare you? Oh. <laughs> yes, I, it is very good. Hmm. I'm not as punishing to them as I am to the cast of Road to Heaven or to anyone who plays Blazing Him with me. That's fair. Generally, there's
1: just so many good like role playing uh, podcasts out there. It's certainly a world that I would love to be in some day. But um, you know, well,
2: just- <laughs> would love to be in someday. Yeah. Didn't we record some stuff with Aaron together? We did. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but I mean, like more regularly, you know. Like, yeah. This is, yeah.
2: <laughs> By the way, listener, if you support mutual friend Aaron's Patreon, you get to hear me and Ayumi together in Super Idols Blast Off. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Great, great. So
1: uh, let's get into uh, today's topic so of course we are talking about uh, sailor moon supers this is the fourth season of sailor moon so yes. for anyone who uh has not caught up with sailor moon at this point in time that's perfectly fair you know there's a lot of episodes so uh oh, sailor so moon season one which is actually the only now the only only season we haven't done an episode on so that's exciting for the future the dark oh. kingdom arc it gets our, our basic team together of uh, our five, our, the inner scouts or inner soldiers, inner sentient, whatever term we want to use. And it's you know pretty fun, pretty exciting. Then we get to the introduction of Sailor Moon's uh, daughter, Chibi Moon, from the future in, in Sailor Moon R. And that is the uh, Black Moon arc. And mm-hmm. then we get into the third season, which is called Sailor Moon Super. But it also just looks like S. <laughs> and yep. uh, that one introduces the outer guardians more fully uh before that it was just uh sailor pluto don't say just um, I, I don't mean just as in like she's <laughs> somehow inferior okay i mean just as in there's only one of them okay? i have
2: idolized sailor pluto since her existence was revealed to me <laughs>
1: <laughs> very fair it's also a pretty solid arc we do have an episode on that as well and uh, we also have an episode on the final season of STARS, uh, for anyone who has not listened to that one. It's an early episode, but still very good chat. But yes, so supers, which is spelled with two capital S's, one at the end and one at the beginning. A lot of people call it super S for that reason. Perfectly valid. It looks like that's how it's spelled or pronounced. Yeah. So this is also known as the dream arc. And... Um, this one starts off with the introduction of a very spooky circus Mm -hmm. just kind of randomly floating down uh, from the sky uh, out of nowhere in Uh. the middle of Tokyo and uh, we get like these like kind of creepy scenes with you know all sorts of various circus
2: performers who are all just like a little off they're so (laughs) (laughs) and they're giving this weird little speech yes yes about how a circus has descended and they don't even notice yeah and it's it's so bizarre and like you would know more than i would about this because you know more about the behind the scenes stuff typically than i do but like wasn't this one of the the director of utena was involved in sailor moon but had a big role in super s right well yeah so uh that's uh, kunihiko ikuhara he was a sub
1: director in the first season uh under junichi sato but then sato left after season one and he became the main director for the second, third, and fourth seasons, but he famously left this season to go on oh. to do Utena because he had pitched a movie about Sailor Uranus and Neptune to Toei, and they were like, "Uh, no thanks, and he was like, okay, I'm going to take the basic idea of these gays and make something else completely, and he created his own studio, and he made uh, Utena that way so
2: okay yeah it <laughs> is something that i love very 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 deeply so mm-hmm.
1: yeah i mean he probably noticed the same problem that we all did which is that a certain two very important sailor guardians are not in this season at
2: all <laughs> none of the outers are in this season which is a crime mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's a crime it's homophobic
0: <laughs>
2: it's uh-huh. racist hmm There's one dark-skinned Sailor Senshi, she's not here. Like, I understand why, but also, like, it's very unfortunate that we have to wait a whole year, basically, for them to show up. The outers are such cool characters, top to bottom. So, not seeing them is a bummer. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This season caught a lot of flack i was a huge sailor moon fan as a child i watched it after school Mm -hmm. and then when i was a teenager i think i mentioned this last time i was on the program sailor moon was the first anime that i really sought out i looked for subs online i participated in like forums and chat rooms and fan sites and i made fan sites back in the angel fire days So, like, my first introduction to the web of that time as an ecosystem was through Sailor Moon and Pokemon. Mm. And there was a very famous website called In Defense of Supers, which was a big old website just cataloging the reasons that this season isn't as bad as everyone says. Even back in the day, a lot of people were not sanguine on this season for a lot of reasons. And one of them is that we don't have the outers.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Another reason is that a lot of fans at the time really disliked the character Chibiusa, hmm. myself included, when I was younger, I felt like this was kind of a scrappy do character, this was like a, a <laughs> kid, a little kid in, in a show that I didn't perceive as being for little kids because I was a teenager watching it, right?
1: Interesting, okay.
2: (laughs) So when you're a teenager watching a show about teenagers, all of a sudden they introduce this bratty little kid who's always screaming and causing problems. It's like, please stop. (laughs) And I think I, um, that was my gut reaction as a teenager to the character. And spoiler alert, I actually warmed up to Chibiusa a lot over the course of Super S. Hmm. I, I actually there's a lot of scenes in which I'm just like somebody somebody locked this child up she's a menace she's the worst but by and large the show in this season does a lot to kind of show her growth because hmm. she's a literal child and she's literally growing And this season is very much a learning experience for her. So I'm not as harsh on her as I was as a teenager. But that attitude was so pervasive that one of the major fandom websites was pretty much revolving around telling people this season wasn't as bad as they thought. That's very interesting. Do you think that most people might have had similar experiences to yours? It could very well be. Hmm. A lot of the people I was interacting with online, at least, i thought were my age but that could have been the narcissism (laughs) of a teenager right sure (laughs) because this was this was pre-facebook everybody online was just kind of going by handles Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. i picked my favorite monster rancher monster (laughs) so like -hmm. how was i supposed to know how old everybody was i had no
1: clue yeah but and i think that it's fair to guess at the very least that No, at least around your age, maybe older, because like, that's just like the nature of the internet. Like, for example, you know, Cure famously, like, there's a lot of online fandom, the target audience of the the show are not in the online fandom, because they are simply too young. Yeah. So it's just a very different experience. Yeah. Between, yeah, how it is for the kids and and for us adults.
2: (laughs) The other thing is that uh, our experiences with Sailor Moon are going to be very different, I think. Hmm. Because I don't know about yours, but my introduction to Sailor Moon was through the infamous English dub, Mm -hmm. which made a lot of changes and made a lot of choices that people tended to hold up as emblematic of the reason that subs were superior to dubs in that era. Hmm. That and later on, you would see it with Yu-Gi-Oh! Where like the, this is why subs are better shows. Hmm. those fans would then kind of, some of us would discover the subs and discover the, the material that had only been released in Japan. And so you're looking at people who grew up watching the first two seasons of Sailor Moon, did not know anything else existed, suddenly discovered this mythical third season that had oh, lesbians and suddenly discovered the later three seasons and how kind of weird and delightful they are <laughs> and so a lot of people's first reactions to chibi as a character were in the english dub mm-hmm. and i can't help but wonder because there were a lot of like like the voice actors for usagi i found her voice extremely annoying <laughs> in the <laughs> english dub i i can't speak for everyone obviously Mm -hmm. but like there were a lot of voices and choices in that dub Mm -hmm. and so like i think a lot of the english-speaking sailor moon fandom at least fans of my age started in english discovered the japanese then went back and rediscovered the material that they originally interacted with in english and japanese again Mm -hmm. and Most of the people I interacted with online had followed that cycle with Sailor Man. Yeah, that makes sense. Obviously, I think uh, a lot of people
1: know already, but for those who don't, the original English dub, they did only cover four seasons. But in particular, Deke did the first two seasons and then they canceled the show. And then there was a whole online Save Our Sailors or SOS
2: movement. Yes. I remember SOS. Yeah. And
1: that got Cloverway to pick up the next two seasons. And then they just looked at stars and were like, oh no, this is a bit much for even us. So they went. Yeah. They we, st- we can't handle stars.
2: <laughs> stars is too weird even for us. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> when I was online, it was the save our S- sailors era. Mm-hmm. So most of my interaction with sailor moon fandom was in that space between the English dubs of, Sailor Moon and Sailor Moon are and um, super and supers. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, just as far as my own experience, so like I did watch Sailor Moon originally when I was very, very young uh, when it came out in Japan, but I moved to the US when I was four. So oh. after that, I did watch I, I have very distinct memories of watching the deep dub and You know, enjoying it for what it was and like having a lot of strong feelings about like enjoying Sailor Moon in particular, but also other Japanese import shows because like they were Japanese and that was Mm. my way to find representation. Of course. Yeah. And also like, for my parents, it was like, oh, yeah, let's get them into these Japanese shows so that they could like remember that they're Japanese or whatever. Uh, so it was a lot of that. And then I just like ended up never getting around to watching the rest because I think I, I was too young for like the whole SOS thing. I was not let online until mm-hmm. a little bit later. And I, like knew about the rest of it but i just never got around to really sitting down and actually watching it in full but i was also like very much a kid and that's like the one thing like obviously you are saying like you didn't really think of it that way but it is a kid show and the dub yeah. was made to appeal to essentially the same audience as the original um i think like I did technically watch Sailor Moon when I was 2 years old. I don't know how much I actually took in at the time, but mm. <laughs> but you know it is definitely like it happens online sometimes still where people yeah. are claiming that Sailor Moon is not for kids and it's like have you seen a single commercial for a Sailor Moon product?
2: Um, yeah, no, it's it's definitely for kids. I was approaching it with the narcissism of a teenager that refuses <laughs> to believe that anything is not for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you sure. know we all kind of i think felt that way in our teens <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes yes i still have to deal with that in the modern day with pre-cure um reminding mm. people that this is a show for babies a lot of people it just, is like, a show for babies refuse to believe that <laughs> that's why i love it yeah it's it's wonderful and um as for yeah this season this was actually my first time watching supers which was really interesting and fun mm. It's a very interesting season because I know that it has a bad reputation, like you mentioned. So actually finally watching it and seeing pretty much right away a lot of things that stood out to me. I don't know if they're all the, all the same things that like stood out to people at the time because I don't mind Chibiusa. Like I don't feel very strongly about her. I can understand people not liking her, especially like after R. She gets better in super, I think, but Uh, supers in particular is definitely more about her and her like kind of not becoming an adult but definitely growing up I like that it is focused on um, Chibi Moon because like well for one thing having it just be the Usagi show all the time gets a little boring Um, but also it is nice to see like her like starting to kind of find herself because we kind of start to see Mm -hmm. that a little bit in the previous season and then she kind of like dips in the last season, so this is definitely like her final time to shine. And you know, it's really her like finding her identity outside of like everything in relation to her parents, which is good. You know, yeah. very important for for kids to see. I think. Yeah, yeah. The romance aspect, I could you know give or take, but like whatever. All
2: yeah. um, right, <laughs> should I take it or leave it? Yeah. Yeah, I went into this expecting not to like her because I had memories of not liking her. Mm-hmm. But she grows so much and you get to see glimmers of the person she is. Like you said, like, not just being Usagi and Mamoru's child from the future, but actually being like her own person. Yeah. Like even her name, she's like, her name is just little Usagi. It's like, no, like this is a- her own person. Mm-hmm. When kind of recurring theme in this season that I really liked is that she likes to draw. Yeah. She's artistic. There's a couple episodes where she draws or you see her drawings and I wish they'd explored that more. I wish they'd explored like, no, she's a budding artist. This is something that she, that brings her joy Mm
3: -hmm, mm -hmm.
2: because I always thought that was actually very sweet.
1: Yeah. As far as the season goes, I, I really liked that focus. We do need to talk a bit about our, our initial villains here. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> the kind of like main like leader of the circus that we see for the majority of the show is uh, Zirconia who is this like mm. kind of uh, seems like, like a little old lady with this very kind of alien looking hat and robe situation and the robe actually kind yes. of has a face on it and she is uh-huh bossing around uh, all the various characters but in particular we see the main villains the main kind of generals if you will are the amazon trio uh hawk's eye tiger's eye and fish eye who are you know the classic
2: sailor moon villain they're all named after gems and jewels and all that um i want to revisit zirconia after the spoiler zone yes because there's something i love very much about zirconia Mm -hmm. that's revealed like very much later yes yes but the amazon trio mm-hmm two-thirds of them are awful <laughs> and the remaining third needs to watch it
1: <laughs> yes yes the kind of main goal is to find um Pegasus you know this just a literal Pegasus uh who lives in dreams but in particular they're looking for the, the dream that has him inside. So someone who is special enough to be, I guess, dreaming about Pegasus, theoretically. So they keep looking for various people, but in particular, they're always looking for people that could be like romantic interests. Yeah. What we see is this um, kind of like mm, dark bar looking situation in the middle of the circus, which I like. <laughs> <laughs> which honestly this uh visual this setting reminded me a lot of um Doki Doki Precure they basically hang out in this kind of seedy bowling alley of, oh, yeah. of evil <laughs> it was like the same vibe so I don't know if that's a reference uh to, to supers but it was yeah. something that I, I thought about so basically every episode uh roughly with the three of them we see that like There's like all these like sprawled out Polaroids that we literally are like (laughs) taken by Zirconia's little weird flying eye, um, which is so funny. (laughs)
2: Yes, (laughs) Zircon.
1: Yeah. And so they're always going through like, oh, I like this one. I like this one. And it's mostly girls or women. On occasion, there are also men, which is an important thing. But basically, like each of them have a type. So uh, Hawk's eye goes for all the older women. Tiger's eye goes for all the the younger women slash girls, which we'll talk about. And then fish eye goes for all the men slash boys, which we'll also
2: talk about. In addition to all the other yucky things they do, tiger's eye and hawk's eye have numerous arguments over whether older women or younger women are better that are just really vile.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's all like these just terrible ideas of like the reasons why. Like I can understand to a certain degree having... Some kind of preference for like certain dynamics in a relationship, but this is all terrible. The way that they describe everything is just like, no.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like yeah. being into older women is normal. Talking about them the way Hawkeye does is bad. Yes. I mean, on the one hand, they are villains,
1: but on the yeah. other hand, they're still saying that stuff. So it's like, I don't really, there's no one in the moment that is like correcting their behavior or like calling them out on it or anything like that. So
2: yeah the closest we get is fisheye telling them they have bad taste and mm-hmm. i love fisheye i love almost everything about fisheye fisheye's look is very blue zoecite. mm, and so like very very cute very very lovely and unlike a lot of the times when you see a character of kind of ambiguous gender there's never a moment where Fisheye identifies themselves very clearly. So at least in terms of the anime, it's never made clear how Fisheye perceives themselves. Mm-hmm. The Amazon trio are, I mean, we don't see all the way everything, but we see enough to know that Fisheye doesn't have breasts. Mm hmm. Fisheye is also kind of gender fluid, like talks openly about presenting as a man or as a woman in different situations, which I think is really interesting.
1: Yeah. And I think one thing to point out as far as like, especially people who have approached it with the original English dub is that in the English dub, they chose to just make Fisheye a woman. I think the English dub is not the only dub to do that. Just for the record, but uh, I think that that is, yeah. you know, an interesting thing. And you mentioned uh, Zoe Sight and the same thing happened with him. But uh, I think what's interesting is like, you know, as a kind of way to correct that with the new dubs and subs, they do use he, him for fish eye. But honestly, like, I feel like my reading of a fish eye in the original Japanese is that of like someone who is more female than not.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I would definitely agree with that, especially since you pointed out to me that the nature of the Japanese that they use. Yes,
1: all three of them um, use very feminine uh, Japanese speaking yeah. styles. Which
2: is so interesting.
1: <laughs> it's not surprising for fisheye, but it was surprising for the other two. So mm. it was just like, huh, okay. like. Is this like a weird villain queer coding going on? I don't understand what's
2: happening. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're not queer coding. They're very aggressively straight. They're like yeah. hyper, hyper, hypersexual. Yes. All three of them are really. Mm-hmm. But there's also a really wonderful moment because unlike the way the other two pursue people, and I want to talk about that, mm-hmm. Fisheye tends to like try and inspire people with an elaborate fantasy. Yes. And fisheye has the most bizarre schemes that usually involve just showing up and being gorgeous. Um, <laughs> just, yes. And then gradually revealing actually <laughs> that they're kind of a jerk. Yes. <laughs> but um, the one with the fashion designer, when oh, he refers yes. to fisheye as somebody who transcends gender Mm -hmm. for the show to not only portray a character who has that quality but to have other characters openly admire and love that i liked it i liked it a lot yeah yeah. you also kind of see it in the previous season in the way people react to haruka sure where it's like this is somebody who's not bound by gender and the fact of that is a beautiful and important part of who they are
1: for sure yeah i think that That episode was so interesting and like the way that people perceive fisheye is really interesting, especially in regards to gender. The only thing about especially that episode is like that episode gets really wow with a fashion designer just going completely mad and making these really ugly like no offense to Fisheye. I mean they'd be great drag looks and stuff, but like those those costumes are <laughs> They win. <would>. They would. <laughs> Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised that no drag queen has tried to do any of the Fish Eye looks,
2: to be honest. <laughs> especially since i spent a lot of time really jealous of fisheye's heels mm. those like teal shoes with the hot pink spike heels they're cute
1: <laughs> yeah yeah just, i want them um, so fisheye in general is a very interesting character to look at from that perspective of like you know the way that people were talking about gender and sexuality at that time and, and all of that yeah and yeah as far as the other two i mean i think it's also important to mention the way that. The, the dream mirrors and all that are, are kind of looked at <laughs> literally where uh, basically with differing levels of success they are trying to kind of basically seduce their victim of the week a lot of times they're yes. not very successful but they'll just like be like whatever it's time and they say one two three this like weird wall comes out of nowhere and they get attached to it and their dream mirror comes out of them and it's clearly like meant to be painful kind of it's hard to describe like the voice acting um and everything for these scenes it's like it all reads to me as like very like metaphorical sexual assault to be perfectly honest it does like Hawkeye yeah.
2: and tigers i do this thing where they try to lure their target somewhere isolated mm-hmm typically by being charming but not always sometimes they're very bad at it yes (laughs) they're often very bad at it because they do suck immensely they're awful (laughs) and then like they do the one two three and like this coffin thing rises behind them on the one these restraints appear on the two and on the three the person's dream mirror is pulled out of them and they scream and then like In order to see if Pegasus is in there, the members of the Amazon trio like actually physically put their head in the mirror to look around. And so while they're putting their head in the mirror, the bound person is screaming Mm -hmm. in pain. And every so often, they let out these little gloating, like, oh, what a beautiful dream. And those are the ones that creep me up those are the ones that yeah. more than any of the other ones when they say stuff like that that's when i get the biggest sexual assault vibes yes and that's when i was the most uncomfortable
1: yeah and it was the whole time i'm watching it's like oh my god this was for kids how are we showing this like this is so like i'm trying i i mean i can't help but imagine like being a parent and this being on tv i'd be like Okay, we're gonna switch over to Wedding Peach now because what's going on? <laughs> well, this is a lot. Like, there's just so much. Uh, it's it's so it's so wild this season. Uh, the, the, these kind of choices, and I thought it was interesting the the times when the victims of the week were not made to make those noises, like voice acting wise. Whereas, yeah. like you know, sometimes they, they would be like passed fully out, unconscious. Yeah. yeah, all of the guardians do at one point or another become victims as well you know kind of like unknowingly like targeting actual Sailor Guardians and all that and it's yeah. just like yeah it's interesting to see how those voice actors are treated I guess I don't know it was just like kind of like I kept imagining what
2: what the the recording room was like
1: I guess if that makes sense yeah <laughs> hmm. and like,
2: and that's another reason it's like fisheye uh does a lot of manipulation but fish eyes aren't as violent as hawk's eyes and tiger's eyes are mm-hmm. which makes them less upsetting to me mm-hmm. there is however an episode where one of the targets is a young boy and fisheye goes on at length about specifically like the aesthetic appeal of the young boy as yeah. like a sexual object <laughs> like that was like I was like fish I like you more than the other two fish but that's a a red card from me yeah for sure and you know I think again it's like they're
1: villains but it's also like why are we talking about this at all (laughs) why is this being presented to us
2: at all (laughs) yeah there's one vaguely redeeming trait because it's revealed at the end of the trio portion that they're literal animals Mm mm-hmm They are literal animals that have been transformed into humanoid shapes to serve in the dead moon circus. And this kind of, this touches on a theme in the show that is innocence. Like they're animals, they're innocent. And so like, maybe they were going for something like bestial. Maybe they were going for like, no, these are animals. I hate it. I hate (laughs) it a lot. Mm -hmm. I don't think that redeems it. Hmm. I just think that it, adds a shred of sense to it as opposed to it just being there for no reason which i think would upset me more yeah i don't know how i feel about it i feel like i would have to do a lot more
1: i guess behind the scenes research from like you know creative team stuff like people directly but for me it's just like yeah it's it's a lot even for the time it it feels very heavy but like when you see this situation, and then you look at Utena after, that connection makes so much sense. Mm. The other thing is that uh, I still have not read all of the Sailor Moon comics, so I don't know what they're like in the comic. I don't know if this is like an exaggeration of how they were uh, in, in the original uh, iteration or what have you. So there's just like a lot of stuff that I still would need to take a closer look at, basically. Yeah, but yes with with them and the, the thing about them is, you know, because they are animals, they also don't have dreams of their own. And so there's like all these things with uh, especially fisheye in particular, but like all three of them have yeah. a bit of an existential crisis of like trying to understand once they once it's revealed to even them who they really are uh, and understanding the way that they're not human. You know, and at this point, they've also managed to even connect to really all the Sailor Guardians, but especially Usagi, Sailor Moon, Um, because Fisheye was going after Mamoru uh, and all that, which was also a wild episode.
2: Yeah.
1: He's got only one girl in his mind. I'm sure, whatever. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah, I guess Yeah
1: yeah i mean just like to get it out of the way like we talk about this every time we have to talk about sailor moon that like you know he is a college student in the adaptation for some reason well no the reason is because he can drive a car if he's in college and then she's 15 at this point so it just like continues to be that awkward problem of like the whole franchise and there, there's nothing in particular Wrong with the them this season other than like the usual shenanigans that have been happening the whole time There there isn't like any particular plot stuff that goes on that's especially problematic like for example with like R There was more stuff with them that was worse This is just like they're established. as a couple now and that's fine Usagi has a jealousy problem that she needs to work out Yes
2: Yeah Listen, he's not a catch. He makes fun of your weight <laughs> twice. And I was telling me this before. That would not happen to me. <laughs> boyfriend makes fun of my weight once. He is no longer a boyfriend. Problem solved.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. it's That guy hmm. sucks. I also don't like Asagi. <laughs> I think it's
1: interesting. I think it's important to, to note that this is an ensemble cast technically speaking but it is like this this season is especially mostly Chibusa focused but still very usaki focused so
2: yeah it's like sure (laughs) she's got a lot of extremely grating traits she's very nosy she's very self-centered she's very petty Mm -hmm. every so often she's a little bit charming but honestly the only time you really see anything really admirable in her she's transformed it's like if you were to tell me usagi was not sailor moon and that like a different entity was possessing her i would believe it (laughs) Hmm. that's interesting
1: as far as like her being kind of self-centered at this point she has saved the world three times so you do have to give her a little bit of leeway there like it's understandable for her to be a little a little full of herself at this point or a little yeah i know she knows in a way that she's the protagonist you could say yeah that's
2: honestly a very good summary of her characters that she knows (laughs) that she's the protagonist
1: Mm -hmm. but yeah i guess are there any like other particular episodes or like story story bits in the first half that you wanted to talk about
2: there are a couple beats that i really enjoyed that involve the other members of the cast because like sailor moon at least to me sailor moon's set the template for the ensemble cast show. It was one of the first shows I remember where the main casts were all girls and they Mm. were all different kinds of girls and they were all cool and powerful and valuable. And that's Mm -hmm. part of why I love my little pony friendship is magic so much is because I love a show that tells little girls, you can be any kind of girl and still be powerful and valid and worth loving hmm. and so given my memories of sailor moon i was expecting to see more of the rest of the senshi mm-hmm. and i was really disappointed that this season is so focused on chibiusa and usagi because mm-hmm. i love the others so i love the inners they're wonderful well minako's a gremlin and she's A little bit bad (laughs) and ray is also a gremlin Mm -hmm. who's often a little bit vain and petty and minako is also a little bit vain and petty (laughs) but like maybe it's just because we don't see them as much as we see usagi but when i was a little girl i identified so much with sailor mercury As a very bookish child. I was a very timid child, believe it or not. Don't look at me like that, Ayumi. I was a very timid (laughs) child. (laughs) And I identified with her a lot. And it was the first time that I saw Smart Girl on a show and she wasn't like a jerk. Like she was gentle natured Mm -hmm. and sweet. She was timid, but she wasn't a coward. She was there for her friends in the way Mm -hmm. that she could be and then as a teenager when i revisited sailor moon i found i identified a lot with sailor jupiter because i had grown into a tall and confident and brash and kind of loud young person and even in my 20s i was like i did just turn into a jupiter but now that I'm rewatching it as an adult, I come back to Amy again, not because of the smarts, because I'm no longer, when I was a kid, everyone told me I was smart. And that was how I defined myself, which was, you know, smart kid baggage. <laughs> but now that I'm an adult, it's not about how smart Ami is for me anymore. That's not important. What's important is how tender and gentle she is. And like, I really, I want hmm. to help the people around me and I want to soothe them when they're upset Mm -hmm. and also I identify with her because she always seems like she's a little bit uncomfortable when her friends are being weirdly romantic (laughs) she's like I actually don't care about any of this you guys which hits me in my ace feelings Hmm. but um one of my favorite favorite scenes in Super S is when Makoto is standing on the dance floor And she thinks no one wants to dance with her because she's too tall. And Ami comes up to ask her to dance. Yes, that was really nice. It's so sweet. It's so cute. (laughs) And like, that's who Ami is. Like, she's she's a gentle soul. Hmm. And I just, I found myself returning to her. I love Sailor (laughs) Mercury. And I wish we got to see more of her and Makoto. Makoto got robbed, but that's later. But (laughs) because Makoto is also like, she's 15 she's struggling with who she is with the things that people see in her the things that she genuinely likes to do and like now that i watch it as an adult it's like no makoto's 15 she has not realized that she can be sporty and feminine Mm -hmm. she hasn't realized that she doesn't have to choose between those things yeah there doesn't need to be tension there she's 15 she doesn't get that yet (laughs) yeah yeah Definitely.
1: There's a lot about, I mean, not just Sailor Moon, but like in general, there's a lot of stuff about like watching shows that you enjoyed when you were younger. That, like, now that you're an adult, it's like, oh, these are teenagers. They don't know anything yet.
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, that's very, that's very much my experience with Sailor Moon. Okay. When, when Tiger's Eye is trying to seduce Ray, and she is ignoring him because she's so upset that Usagi is probably lurking somewhere. Mhm. Very funny. <laughs> Loved it.
1: Yeah, despite everything, there's a lot of um really fun like funny moments with especially, I mean, Hawks eye also kind of, but like Tiger's eye is so bad at flirting, it's really funny sometimes.
2: He's so he sucks so much at
1: it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's another iteration of Tiger's eye somewhere where he is like actually a beloved himbo, but like yeah, it's not quite there. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. There's a very, very brief moment in the episode I referenced earlier with the dance Mm -hmm. where it's implied that he's genuinely charmed by Makoto. Yeah. And I loved that. I really did love that. I was like, well, first of all, you're a criminal. You don't deserve her. And second of all, (laughs) she deserves to be adored by everyone around her so good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I also realize that like the one aspect I don't identify with Makoto at all in is that I'm not a romantic like she is like, I'm not sure. Yeah, that girl's got to get a better sense of self because she's <laughs> she's a mess.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that like, in general, there is a lot of that throughout Sailor Moon with uh, almost all the characters, even Ami um, sometimes. I don't want to say it's like lazy writing, but it's like easy writing to yeah. so have them all be very interested in romance and it's like something to be like aspirational to. Uh, I think it's more common now uh, with ensemble casts and stuff to see like characters that are, are interested in romance and some characters who don't seem to be interested in all. Um, mm. In general, a lot of the episodes with the trio, I mean, they're like kind of interesting problems from time to time. I mean, they're obviously formulae, but, like, mm-hmm. sometimes it gets a little tiring to see what, you know, certain characters are going to do. Is it just me?
2: Or is, it like, I know Sailor Moon was my first exposure to a series with this much, like, filler mm-hmm. <laughs> that I can remember, at least. Hmm. I don't know. It's like, was that a 90s thing? Is that a Sailor Moon thing? You'd probably know more than I would. Um, I would say it's more like they
1: picked up the TV show very shortly after the comics started. Yes. So there was, I mean, that's obviously great for Sailor Moon and great for Takuchi's like entire future bank account. Mm-hmm. Because of that, it was like right away that they had to start coming up with filler content and like side stories for f- films and stuff like that and entire filler arcs uh, as well. And so I think that, you know, for that reason, they're, they're fitting, you know, a pretty standard like kind of tokusatsu-like uh, structure with these episodes of like just like random stuff but like they're definitely still they still happen in other magical girl series beyond the 90s it's not just the 90s you have to look at like literally when did the comic start how much content was there to adapt like how much time did they have because this season actually is is shorter than the previous seasons it's only 39 episodes and the stars was also quite short uh in comparison to the previous season so they didn't have to do as much I guess technically but like it's still only comparing a handful of comic chapters to like all these episodes so there's like so much they have to do in between it's just like the nature of the beast I guess I mean like from the very beginning uh, even going back all the way to, to Sally and, and Akko like the differences between Comic and adaptation have always been there and always been like it's a mm. kind of thing that's
2: understood to be mm. like inevitable. So that's probably why filler episodes in Precure feel so different from filler episodes in Sailor Moon. Because mm-hmm. like Monster of the Day episodes in Precure still feel like they teach you something about the characters, mm-hmm. but that's because that's the original form of the story.
1: Yes, yes, oh. I would say because, and you know, a lot of people are really sticklers for this. I, I know what you mean, but like the use of the term filler is quite literally like
2: filling in the gaps between mm. these parts of the story. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, in the original word. Oh, that makes perfect yeah. sense. Yeah. I wouldn't describe a Precure Monster of the Day episode as filler because nine times out of ten, it's also communicating something interesting and important about the characters or the situation,
3: mm-hmm, at least mm-hmm. in,
2: the, in the Precure seasons I've watched. Yeah. But that makes sense because it's literally not filler in the literal origin of the term because that's the original yes. form of the story. That makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, this is why exactly. you're the expert. This is why you're the expert. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of shows that are
1: like very distinctly, like intentionally formulaic, mm. like Precure, like Tokusatsu shows are. Um, but you can see it also with any adaptive work so you can see it in Sailor Moon mm. in uh, Tokyo Mew Mew Mermaid Melody like all this like other stuff that happens that sometimes are complete nonsense when you look at the main story they're often forgettable but you know if you get the right people on board the right writers and stuff you can get pretty interesting filler episodes mm. too with that because we, we have been uh, chatting chatting for a while um, <laughs> <oops>. <laughs> Oh, and I guess we didn't really mention where Pegasus is. So Pegasus is, you know, like a literal Pegasus. He's very clearly living in Chibiusa's dream specifically. Mm-hmm. And he has had this moment with her even before the series started in the last uh, movie. And it's after that point that like they can't communicate. And she prays to him for the, the kind of main like final attack of the season, which... uh. Moon Gorgeous Meditation might literally be my favorite Sailor Moon stock footage It's good. uh, It's good. It's so good. It's very good. But yes, it starts with you know, Chibi Moon, I should say praying to Pegasus for assistance, for power, and then it's so satisfying every time. Like literally, I can't skip it. (laughs) But yeah, because of that, it's like we, the audience, can figure out pretty quickly that like, oh yeah, the, the person who is the host of Pegasus like in her dream is definitely Chibiusa and Fisheye also figures mm-hmm. this out but she doesn't tell the others at first which is a very interesting choice yeah. instead she kind of like holds that information yeah. hostage uh-huh. like just like kind of holds that to herself and is like eh. I know who it is um, and she's kind of refusing to tell Zirconia and all that uh, which of course pisses her off and they forcibly try to get uh, Fisheye's memories uh, to, they look at her memories uh, or look at their memories in order to find the, the, the host. And they see Fisheye interacting with Usagi, with Sailor Moon, and just presume that she is the host. And so they go after her. And it's a pretty interesting kind of final uh, final fight there. Unfortunately, it does end with the Amazon Trio sacrificing themselves. And it's, you know, despite their problems with the Trio in general, I did find it to be a very uh, moving end for them. And um, yeah, especially for, for Fisheye, of course. I think it yeah. makes sense that Fisheye was the one to kind of be the first to, to turn and, and all that. But um, yeah, did you have any thoughts about the kind of end of their story? I,
2: in the end, I felt like... More sympathy for them than I expected to them being Hawkeye and Tiger's Eye. I I expected to feel some sympathy for Fish Eye because I like her. She's cute. She's good. Mm-hmm. Even though she did do a creepy. So did so did her co-workers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And there is that moment where she's. Uh, it was like, no, you have to save Sailor Moon, and they're like, hey, what? That's Sailor Moon, <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, Fish knows that too. <laughs> Whatever
1: yeah yeah (laughs) it's interesting to see yeah fisheye is very observant but Mm -hmm. you know in the end they die right yeah and i should mention that like usagi also temporarily dies yep which is uh, again very intense because her mirror gets uh, removed from her and then broken yes and it's In the sacrifice of the trio, that she's able to uh, come back to life with her dream mirror being repaired. I think it's interesting that the breaking of the dream mirror, the death of the dream, is also the death of the person, the human. And uh, yeah, uh, Pegasus is able to uh, bring them back to life and give them
2: uh, human
1: lives at the end. Though we don't really see them after this point,
2: but it's good to know that. They're okay. They get whisked away to the dream world that Pegasus actually resides in. Mm-hmm. And we learn more about that dream world later on after the spoiler break. <laughs> yes,
1: yes. So, for anyone who has not watched this season yet, there's still a lot more left to talk about. But yeah, this is our, our spoiler point, so you can stop here and uh, come back later after you've watched the show which is you know despite our complaining at the
2: beginning here it is quite i think it's worth watching there's a lot about it that is worth watching i'm not like honestly it improves dramatically after the spoiler point (laughs) so Hmm, interesting well there's no more sexual assault (laughs) i'm spitting out my tea here yes (laughs) (laughs) i didn't realize how much that was a factor weighing on me till it was gone and then i was like oh i'm actually enjoying this show more That's very fair.
1: Yes. So we get the introduction of the Amazonist Quartet, though we don't actually know that's their names quite yet. Mm -hmm. But yes, we have, you know, these four girls who are, no (laughs) color-coded. And they're very clearly roughly the same age as as Chibiusa. And they are also looking for dream mirrors. Now, it's very funny that in the whole like mess of things with the Amazon trio... It turns out that because Fisheye never told them who who is the host of Pegasus, like they just don't ever get that information. Um, Yeah. So they have to keep looking. And in this case, they've announced that like, oh, well, uh, we know now that whoever is the host of Pegasus has a golden mirror. So now we have these girls who are these like playful little like little circus children with these like magic orbs. Uh, They are running around trying to uh, find the dream mirrors and trying to find the golden one. They're and it's so like...
2: cute! <laughs> <laughs> yes, they're, yes. They're bratty and disrespectful in a very childish and I find very charming way. Mm-hmm. They have kind of very distinct personalities. They're very playful. Mm. I genuinely love the Amazon S Quartet, especially Palapala, Pala, the most childish one. Yes. <laughs> In the manga, they are, from the future, Chibi-moon's senshi. Yes, yes. That doesn't happen in the anime. That only happens in the manga. But it's kind of alluded to later on that they do feel kind of, they feel warm toward her. And they don't really know why. Hmm. And I like that. I also, my favorite design thing about the trio is that their hair counts. Mm Mm-hmm. Bess has one braid. Sari Sari has two. Jinjin has three. Pala Pala has four. Yeah, their hair is
1: all over the place. But in a way that's... It's cute! <laughs> yeah, I was kind of trying to figure this out. Especially with, I mean, the name of Amazon is Quartet as well. Like, if there's any cultural significance to the hairstyles that they have. Like, if, if mm. Takeuchi was trying to pull from somewhere. Because I feel like I I've seen those kinds of, like incredible updos and in somewhere like i don't know like I, I feel like i've seen it in something <laughs> but i can't place like something specific because i'm i'm not really good at that sort search yeah. i barely fully understand like ancient
2: japanese hairstyles and stuff like that so you know oh here's something you do understand they are named after four asteroids in the belt between mars and jupiter yay <laughs> those are pallas ceres vesta and juno hmm so they are named after roman iterations of greek deities mhm and i just love them
1: yeah there's i mean the details are always so fun with that yeah. stuff you know <laughs> with sailor moon just the the themes are are strong <laughs>
2: The only one that's really obvious is Ceresere, who is named after Ceres, which -hmm. is the Roman word for Demeter. And she's the one who's associated with flowers. Mm. And also Pala Pala is named after Pallas and kind of like Pallas Athena. She's a trickster sort of figure, like she's clever. Mm. Although she's kind of also very spacey and silly. Hmm. One thing I love about Palapala is that there's multiple scenes where she's like, no, I'm just going to get like everyone in this room's heart mirrors and check all at once. I can't be bothered. It's it's very, she's so cute. (laughs) One
1: thing that's so interesting about them as well is the way they interact with Zirconia because, you know, she's very authoritative and very like... (laughs) <laughs> like it's very clear that like she's the boss when talking to everyone else especially the amazon trio but with the Amazon quartet yeah. they they could not be bothered to listen to her ever really and they
2: they do not respect they
1: call her, her granny you know its just like so the the rudest
2: children to her they're such rude little brats to her it's so, yeah and yeah you're used to see the Amazon trio in mortal terror of her mm-hmm. and then you see the Amazonas quartet and they do not care.
1: <laughs> yes, they're a
2: lot of fun to watch they' are they're quite adorable they're yeah. charming. Mm-hmm. One big contrast is that there's another one where the target is a young boy and Junjin mm-hmm. appears to him not like in a romantic or sexual way none of them do right jinjin appears to him as a coach Hmm. and the weird thing is jinjin appears to him as a coach and seems to not have put together that he's the one in the photograph Mm -hmm. until later so jinjin just legitimately helped coach this kid in track and field and was like oh wait crap i need to check your mirror huh
1: (laughs) yeah and it's interesting as well that like at this point all the victims are children
2: Right. And yeah. it's just
1: children going after children. it's just like a
2: completely different vibe from the first
1: half of the show, like you said. It really
2: is. And like the Amazonist quartet are less kind of predatory. Mm-hmm. Like they, they, they're they're preying on people. They're villains in a magical girl series, but it's not anywhere near as upsetting or creepy as it is with the trio. Yes, definitely. Because they're just like they're kids playing games. Their favorite thing to do is show off their circus skills any context they could do a flip or jump onto a thing they love to do it they have a great time <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. they're they're fun to watch they're so
1: cute yeah they're quite adorable and I I like kid villains a lot I like the idea of like I mean like you said uh, a lot of people can know at this point in hindsight that the, the four of them are going to one day become guardians of their own but like It's so fun to see them like just be little gremlins. Like these kinds of villains are always so fun (laughs) to
2: watch. I think (laughs) it's part of why Fish was my favorite of the trio because Fish was the most gremlin. Mm, That's fair. There were a lot of episodes where they were like, why are you not working? And Fish, I was like, because I don't care. Mm -hmm. This is boring to me have fun losers <laughs> like yeah yeah and i i always kind of dig that vibe and having four of them just being like we don't care mhm is like where are you and they're like we're playing hide and seek Ha ha! <laughs> <Like, laughs> yeah exactly breaths.
1: just uh so so silly so fun and at the beginning of the second half of the show, we get we get a little bit of time with our you know inner guardians as they get new attacks finally and new uh, transformations, uh, which is yeah. you know, very important.
0: Mm-hmm. The one
1: thing I do want to say about um, episode one fifty one, which is uh, Sailor Mercury's one, is. I I thought I was going to see a pattern here, but she's the only one that's like rendered fully, like magically nude in order to transform into her nude. Yes! That was weird. Yes. I know why, because there's definitely like, this was still a time when it was acceptable to like have stuff pander to the adults in the fandom. But like, it was very striking to see, oh i I was expecting, especially because of the, the the opening sequence of the show, that we were going to see like all of them magically nude for some reason, but it was just her,
2: yeah, it was just her hmm. and like she got her own episode.
1: <laughs> yes, I mean, I think that this is like really not known
2: as well in the English speaking fandom, but she was really popular. Yeah, because there's multiple reasons for this. One of them is that she's just good. (laughs) She's very sweet. And she's uh, one of the earliest examples I can think of of a main character who's powerful, but still kind of shy and timid and reserved. Sure. Yeah. Very relatable. Very relatable. She's very relatable. Exactly. The other thing. Well, You'd be able to speak to kind of the cultural stuff more than I would, I think. Mm-hmm. But just like from what I've read, like characters that are demure and gentle are kind of a thing. Yeah, in Japan, Yeah, I would say so.
1: I think. I mean, I can't speak directly, having been a child at the time and and all that. I was not yeah. like, engaged with Japanese little fandom of Sailor Moon in the nineties. But it is my understanding generally speaking that that is definitely like a thing I think uh something that I probably should spend more time on talking about on the podcast that's like kind of important to talking about a lot of Japanese magical girls is the the fact that like Japanese girl power is different from English girl power, mm. and yeah I would say at least all of this in the inners have like a pretty much at least a little bit of Japanese girl power, which is to say that they have great abilities at being girls like their femininity is like really high in one way or another and in and, and Ami's yeah. case I think it is her personality that is considered part of that like that's like considered like very yeah. feminine and okay. all that which is like I mean I have mixed feelings about that but
2: I still love yeah. her <laughs> and I think like western girl power or at least north american girl power the most popular character that as far as like my impression is Mars mm-hmm on this continent and i think it's because she's brash and sassy and confident Mm -hmm. which are traits that i i guess we just prize more Mm -hmm. than being soft and demure, like Ami. And I prefer Ami to Ray myself, but that's just, like I said, I identify with her. Right, right. That would be an interesting thing to look at, because they've done several, like, formal character polls.
1: There is always a lot of differences, with with any series, really, between, like, the fandom within the country of origin and, Mm. like, fandom outside of it. Especially once you get to, like, uh, language barriers and stuff. It's always really interesting to see. The differences, and it's it's definitely tells you a lot about the culture of the person watching as well, and like the person, like mm-hmm. also personality. Obviously, not everyone's the same, but you know, yeah. for example, uh, you know Sailor Venus uh, Minako is very popular because she's like a literal diva, right? A lot of people love her for yeah. that reason. You know, they they look up to her in that way
2: she's so bratty she's a gremlin <laughs> yeah. she's such a gremlin I was expecting to identify her with her because I've adopted such a gremlin energy in my adulthood mm-hmm. but I ended up really resonating with Ami and her kind of um, desire to comfort the people around her it's very important mm. Yeah. and also Minako is so boy crazy and I couldn't, I could never in a million years <laughs> absolutely yeah. not Go on dates with fish eye, with with Hawkeye and Tiger's Eyes simultaneously? No. Neither of them. Like, not let alone <laughs> like, at the same time. She doesn't know.
1: She doesn't know.
2: <laughs> I know, but they suck so bad. Yeah,
1: yeah. But, but yeah, I think in general, um, yeah, the, there's a lot of stuff there with, like, the characters being so interested in boys. And speaking of which, you know, Minako and, and Makoto get to share their episode where they get powers, uh, power-ups. And so it's... Ugh. It would have been a fine episode, but the premise, the start of it is weird. Because they're both trying yeah. to pursue the same guy, which is all whatever. That's already kind of like a, a weak trope that I'm a little tired of. He's also like a grown adult. Yeah. <laughs> There's a the constant problem with this throughout the series in general, but especially this season. And especially with with Hawkeye and Tiger's Eye and then like the girls in general constantly pursuing adult men. But that's like not even exclusive to Sailor Moon, so whatever it's, it's just like a thing um but yeah it's it is um i i wish
2: that they had more time to focus i wish on they them. had their own episodes yeah <laughs> it was nice seeing them play off each other because we got to see minako being a gremlin even more than usual mm-hmm. we got to see makoto in her element which we often don't in these romantic episodes mm-hmm but seeing her just in an environment where she can like cook and make, uh, make plushies for kids, and it's like, oh, she's actually just happy being around kids. She just loves children. Like, yeah I, th- yeah, I thought that was very sweet. If it was me, Minako would get her own episode, and Makoto would get that one. That makes sense. Yeah, because it was sweet seeing her in her element, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, for sure. I also really liked Ray's episode. On Shower Thoughts. The first time I watched it, it didn't make a big impression of me. Mm-hmm. But then in Shower Thoughts, I was like, actually, this little girl, because this girl comes to Ray's shrine and she wants to be just like Ray after Ray is featured in a magazine. But this little girl is just like Ray and she wants to become like the person Ray pretends to be. <laughs> <laughs> and on Shower Thoughts, I actually found that super cute. It's like, no, you are just like, you're already just like, right, hey, that's the problem.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think her depiction in general in the series is so interesting, Um, but especially mm. like, because she has, in a lot of ways, she's very similar to Minako. Like, she, she like has this, you know, all, a sense as well of like having these, these kind of wild, seemingly wild dreams and, and all that. But yeah, this girl that comes to the shrine is like so seemingly so random. She also has, like, her design is, is really out there. Um, yes. <laughs> but, but it was really interesting to see, like, with the the theme of innocence, with the theme of, of dreams throughout the series, like, these girls are still teenagers. They're still dreaming. And they're now becoming the target of other children's dreams. And so there's a lot to think about uh, there as well. So I thought that was really interesting to see. And then, like, thinking about, you know, again, the target audience being children this girl is kind of a kind of like a placeholder for
2: the audience in a way yeah it it was very funny how kind of incensed Ray got it was just Mm -hmm. like no this is no you need to pursue your own dreams and I think it was so personal for her because this kid was her (laughs) like Mm -hmm. this kid was her trying to learn to put on the same act that she feels like she has to put on I think that's that like i may be reading too much into it but that might be why she got so mad yeah yeah that makes sense it's like she's not a demure and distant elegant shrine maiden at least not in the anime Mm -hmm. she's she's an ambitious driven a little bit aggressive character and that she feels like she has to swallow that because of her station and because she thinks that's what people will like Mm
3: -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm
2: and yeah. she wants very badly to be loved. <laughs> and, like, her seeing a kid who's just like her trying to do the same act, like, she snaps a little. And I I thought that was actually, again, on show, like, first time I watched it, I was like, yeah, whatever. But looking back, actually, that episode was really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally.
1: So... With that, I do want to get into more stuff with Chibius and Pegasus. So, yeah. you know, obviously she's still getting a lot of focus. We see her often um, talking to Pegasus through this kind of weird little, um, I actually don't know what it's called, this the stallion rev. Ah, okay. Yes, that makes sense. <laughs> Uh, that has to be a toy, like that. that that's why that exists. But absolutely, that's yes. a toy design. 100%. <laughs> but yeah, so she's like talking to him about you know her days and and stuff like that, and you mm-hmm. know it's very clear there's like some hints at like romantic feelings between them. It's for the most part just like very cute and silly, but you know she is thinking about like the future and when she's going to become an adult. She just kind of feels. Like not quite ready for romance because she's so young and they actually get into a kind of fight technically where she gets mad at him for not telling her the whole truth about what's going on. And he insists that he can't tell her yet and ends up like just like kind of flying off.
2: Hey, spoiler alert. He never gives a reason why he can't tell her at any point. I, it's just for pacing. It's just for pacing. <laughs> hmm. At no point is he like, if I told you this and you knew it, it would make you a target, or like, which is the barest, easiest one to do. <laughs> there's no like anybody who knows about this is tempted by its power and i didn't want that to happen none of it he never explains why he
3: couldn't tell
2: her i can see this is eating at you yes yeah yeah there's there's reason you can come up with pretty easy reasons to hide something from the audience but Mm -hmm. you could try well so what
1: happens is that during the course of that episode um so it's 157 she kind of figures out that, like, oh, yeah, there are things you just, like, can't tell people. Uh, so I guess that's what's going on with Pegasus. And that's how he comes back to her. So it's like, okay. <laughs> that being said, we do get the full reveal, like, literally the next episode. Because this is when uh, we get the, the kind of classic... There's, like, the classic, like, turning into a kid episode, which has already happened before in Sailor Moon. But in this case... Palapala actually kind of switches their bodies so that Sailor Moon becomes a child, and Mini Moon, Super Moon, however I call her, becomes like not an adult, but like roughly teenage. But they kind
2: of play around with the term adult very loose, loosely in this show. It it should be noted that Palapala doesn't have a reason for doing this. She just thought it would be funny. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes.
1: <laughs> I love her. <laughs> yeah, she was just having a little fun. And she was like, oh, I made your wish come true. Like, it was very clear that right away, like, Tibius is like thrilled at the idea of, of being grown. And it causes a lot of, of silliness and all of that. Lots of little antics. I mean, it's a kind of classic episode in that way. And then at the end of things, uh, because of all that, though, she cannot reach Pegasus. Like she calls for him, like always, to do their attack, and he doesn't come. The other thing is that because they're like stuck in these bodies, they can't go home, so they stay at Mamoru's house overnight. And yeah. it's very, very sudden, very awkward to have like your girlfriend and future daughter in switched bodies. It's like, mm, okay.
2: I should also say that the only time I like Mamoru is when he's interacting with Chibiusa. That's fair. Yeah he's he's like he listens to her he doesn't talk down to her like he's he's genuinely very sweet to her and Mm -hmm. he's i'm like you know what maybe you're better with kids than you are with your girlfriend except that your girlfriend's a kid (laughs) oh my god
1: well the other thing that's interesting about that is that like chibiusa lives with usagi right so she's the one that's like taking care of her More or less, when it's not also literally her own mother taking care of her. So, like, she has to deal with the brunt of of Chibiusa's, like, entire child existence. Hamoru doesn't, though. Like, he interacts with her very, like, very sparingly. So, he has the chance to be, like, that kind of cool dad type because he doesn't do much
2: with her. True. True. Absolutely true. That is like
1: a definite trope. Yeah,
2: <laughs> he shows up, buys her things, and gets declared the big hero. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, um, I hate him again. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> that guy sucks.
1: I mean, that's more like a writing choice than anything else. But it's like, yeah, it does need to be observed that, like, you know, he doesn't yeah. have to deal with with all of of GBS's, like you know childish behavior. But yeah, so in any case, you know, they they spend the night with him. And it's, like, all these silly antics with them, like, you know, having to be in, like,
2: reverse bodies or whatever. I also really like that they don't have to, like, they can't call Pegasus. Gibiusa right. can't call Pegasus with the crystal caddy on. And Palapala just gets bored and leaves anyway. Yes. <laughs> because, like, you couldn't, the Amazon trio would have killed them. But the quartet do not care. <laughs> they get bored. <laughs>
1: yes. Definitely.
2: So that was very charming to me. (laughs) Yeah,
1: because it could have been like, oh, yeah, they're causing trouble this whole time. And so it's like extra stressful for them. They really need to figure out how to switch or whatever. But instead, what happens is that um, Pegasus reaches Chibisa in her dreams. And so,
2: yeah. And this is where it's like, how do I put this? It's a little bit weird that Pegasus can't find Chibiusa's dream when she's grown. Mhm. Like it's weird? Mhm. And later on, much much later on, the senshi talk about having dreamed about Pegasus when they were small children. Mm. And it's like, "Hey Pegasus, do you only appear in the dreams of little girls? And do you maybe lose interest when they get bigger?" <laughs> hmm. It's not fully, I'm going to point at this and say like Pegasus is a creep, mm-hmm. but I don't like it. That's fair.
1: Yeah. So what they say here, what he, his explanation for why he couldn't find her before was that she wasn't like naturally grown up, but like she was forcibly magically grown up via the magic of the dead moon, the dead moon circus. Yeah. I think that makes it a little better.
2: Yeah. <laughs> He also says that her beautiful dream, the one that he's hiding behind, is her dream to grow up. Mm. And since that was granted, she no longer has it. Because mm. she got what she wanted. Yeah. And thus he can't find her anymore. Mm. I still don't like it. Yeah, but- yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's implied,
1: like he says, like, yeah, we can't, this, whatever's going on here can't happen anymore if she stays grown. So she chooses to go back to being a child. And in so doing, they share a kiss, quote unquote, like it's like kind of weird, a weird dream kiss where like he's still in his Pegasus form. But this is like the kind of first major time in the series that we see him in his human form also. And it's that in yes. a ghosty way that kisses her. And then yeah. they wake up and they're back in their regular bodies. And also Usagi has like no idea. Yeah, no clue. But this is the point where it's very clear that like there is a romantic tension in particular between them like it's like hinted at here and there beforehand there's also uh i forgot to mention that weird episode where like early on when when he first appears to her in the stallion rev where like she changes her she changes out of her clothes into her pajamas for some reason we see this which was not necessary in the first place yeah that was not needed yeah uh, i don't know like because it's like Every time I see that, especially at the time, but even now, it's like, someone had to, like, draw that those cells exist. We don't need those. So, like, it's like, burn them. Um, Delete this, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we see her, like, in a state of undress for reasons I cannot fathom. And then he is seen, like, blushing, like, he is is flustered at the sight of her this way. And it's like, I don't understand what's going on here, because, like, for me, a lot of what's going on with Especially her, but like in general with all the children is like the power of, of the child's dreams and like children are so innocent, but this is like not innocent. So I don't know. It's it's yeah it, there's a lot sound back there.
2: <laughs> there's a lot of and that's the yes. Yeah, that's it's it's gross. It's not explicitly Pegasus wants to do sex to a small child, but it's right. gross. And yeah. maybe should have been different
1: <laughs> yes like just as literally i mean i feel like all the stuff with even the romance i i would have accepted it in a way if it hadn't been for the fact that like yeah because like basically what i see in pegasus otherwise is like a peter pan type character yeah right oh absolutely like this eternally a child something uh that resonates with all children it's it's implied that like it's not just the girls specifically, but, like, that he's in children's dreams in particular. And that would make sense because, like, little kids love mythical creatures. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, like, you would dream about a Pegasus. That sounds awesome. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that it's it's just, like, if it weren't for that early scene with them, the, like, with him blushing, I probably would not think
2: anything of what happens
1: to the rest of the show.
2: Yeah, that's that set a tone that i also did not like yeah i would agree with that entirely and then as it goes on i will say here's something that we haven't kind of touched on is that like supers is a really good looking season of sailor moon oh sure yeah you have some episodes that are extremely well animated the episode with the tiny swords uh swordswoman Mm -hmm. is really beautifully animated the track and field episode is hmm. so expressive in its animation. <laughs> but the thing with Sailor Moon that very often happens is as you get toward the meaningful plot stuff at the end of the season, you get your kind of A team on board. So the result is that like Chibi Yusa and Sailor Chibi Moon looks older <laughs> hmm. toward the end of the season. Because, like, her eyes aren't as round. The style of the episodes that they paid a lot of attention to has kind of a slightly more pointed eye shape. Hmm. There's almost kind of a bust line, depending on the angle you see her in. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning, when you see her in Pegasus, you're like, okay, this is a little kid with Pegasus. But, like, later on, as the two of them are much closer, when you're getting in the end game, it's like she's older and taller a little bit. And hmm. I don't love that, <laughs> like I'm sure that's not on purpose, but the vibe is very different when the hmm. character is on that model versus kind of like a a casual silly episode model. Mm-hmm. yeah, I think
1: there are the same people throughout the show. There's a lot of yeah. like, satisfaction in those uh in those moments where you get to see those different artists, but but sure, there are differences, and that can affect uh how how the characters are but especially her because like her her form in general but like especially as uh, sailor chibi moon is like very much like a weirdly like it's like a tiny woman
2: sometimes (laughs) yeah yeah there are some shots in the in the very end where i'm just like hey did you draw boobs on this child Mm, yeah yeah there's there's a bit of that
1: and i think that if it's like the difference between her as in her human form and her in her like superhero form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, like that's oh, yeah. kind of like that. There's a lot of shows like that in particular. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think I don't think it's like too bad. And it's also kind of reflective of the style in general for the comic, etc. So it's not yeah. like it's
2: not like unique to the show. Yeah. I don't think it's a bad thing, but I do think it interacts in a kind of unfortunate way with the ramping up of her relationship with Pegasus. Mm mm-hmm. I don't think this was a deliberate choice or that this was a bad choice, but it's like seeing her relationship with this horse deepen and become more implicitly romantic while the character is visually appearing slightly older. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Hmm. But for the most part, it's actually it's very sweet and tasteful for the vast majority of it, I think her relationship with Pegasus. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I feel that way. I mean... It's interesting because we see, like, even the others around her recognize that she's, like, in love, right? Episode 159 is a very funny episode about them trying to figure out who she's in love with. And her description is, like, not human. So they see, like, her accent looking at this guy across a a bridge is, like, happens to have a kind of long face and stuff. It's really... The way oh, they, they manage yeah, to guys' draw, face is
2: so funny. The draw human that kind of looks <laughs> oh, like a horse God, is really that horse. good. That that is an Ito episode. Shout out to her. My favorite thing about the Force Man is that we do not ever speak to him. Yes. <laughs> He's a candidate, which means he has a beautiful dream in his heart. Mm-hmm. We do not know what it is. We never meet him. We never learn anything about him. But you know by the fact that he was chosen as a target that he has a rich inner life. And I love that for him. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. It's like, no, there's something that matters to him so much, and we're never going to find out what it is. Yeah. Also, the koi puns were very cute. Oh, in that yes, episode. yes, that's true.
1: That was that was also an Ikuhara episode. So you see his writing oh. in that was, yeah, like, I mean, again, like, this is all leading to
2: Atena, and it's very clear whenever you see his work yeah. in here. <laughs> yeah now that you put it that way you're absolutely right
1: <laughs> yes just the very deliberate
2: metaphors etc um lots of fun yeah <laughs> yes So then the queen of the de- of the dead moon mm-hmm. now helenia tries to come through the mirror into our world and is immediately burned by the light yes and so then begins the descent into the end game mm-hmm. it starts with these like spider threads mm-hmm. and everyone's like huh weird spiders in the winter are spiders not a year-round thing in japan Uh, i would say what it is is like
1: we do have some spiders but like we have a lot of spiders in the summer and so oh that makes sense it's like yeah like you really wouldn't usually see fresh spider webs in the winter time it's it's odd yeah i mean of course especially In this case, there are a lot of them.
2: Uh (laughs) Yeah, there's so many of them. They blot out the sun. Yes, yes. And cover everything. And this part of the story is really genuinely eerie. Yes. Like very, very beautiful and eerie and creepy design. You look like everything is sticky to the touch. It's gray and miserable. Mm. It's good. Yeah. I mean this evil circus thing it's, it's a lot of fun one thing that bothers me though uh-huh. is that like all of the monsters they've been seeing the Lemeres, are circus performers right all of the main villains the amazon trio and the Amazonas quartet are circus villains mm-hmm. and yet when everything leads back to the circus everyone's like oh it's the circus yes guys <laughs> it's yeah the circus
1: it's so funny because, like, yeah, I mean, the fact that the circus like shows up, uh, literally, like, time freezes and it appears, and then everyone was like, "Wait, was that circus always there?" Okay, whatever, and, like the whole show, and it's like, guys, come on, but you know, it's fine. It's 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 kind of guys, come on. <laughs> it's I mean, this is like classic, but yeah, come
2: on, Amy, I I expect this from the others, but come <laughs> on,
1: Amy. Yeah, it's silly, but but yeah, so we have that connection. And we see we see Nehlenia more and more, and uh, yes, this is kind of the the beginning of the end. Also, uh, one of well, not one of in general, the spider threads seem to have a very strong effect on Mamoru in particular, and yes. it's like like he gets taken right out, which is fun, and he ends up just kind of getting washed over by the cats. Um, for the rest of the show, <laughs> he's just like yeah, in great. bed. just okay, get him. It's it's interesting because like. <laughs> He does play a pretty strong, like, supporting role throughout the show before then. But then, like, suddenly yeah. he's just like, well, the Earth is in danger and, you know, he's connected to the Earth. So he's out. <laughs> it's an interesting choice to just take him out yeah. of the picture completely. By the way, I just mentioned the cast before. I forgot to mention that Diana shows up for the first time in this set season. Oh,
2: yeah. Diana shows up. Diana's very charming. I like her a lot. Yeah. Yeah she's artemis and luna's child from the future she's their chibi usa mm-hmm. and she's one thing i like a lot is that uh chibi usa when she's first introduced is very much like a chibi usa she's a little usagi mm-hmm. but like diana is different from her parents she's very stiff she's very formal she's kind of a bit of a tattletale hmm she's is kind of how you imagine a young luna might have been actually but she's very much her own character <laughs> yes yes
1: um i really enjoyed her a lot and she's very cute yeah unfortunately she like she appears but like doesn't really do much
2: <laughs> kind of like a lot of characters this season <laughs> True. Yeah. But it's nice for um, Chibiusa to have kind of a companion that isn't her romantic interest, Pegasus. Mm -hmm. And also I just, I do think Diana's very cute. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like watching her play off Mamoru. Yes. Because she is used to him being the king. Right. And she treats him as such because she's also a very stiff and mannerly little kitten. Mm -hmm. There's an episode where he has to study and Diana is watching over him to make sure, first of all, that he pursues his studies diligently, <laughs> and also to make sure that he doesn't engage in any improprieties. And it's just, it's, it's very funny watching this big college student being babysat by a tiny gray kid. It's,
3: <laughs> hmm,
2: hmm. It, I think that's probably one of the few circum. Again, he's good with kids, and he likes Diana a lot. You can tell, <laughs> like. Yeah, yeah. I I
1: liked (laughs) it. She's fun. She's fun to have. A nice little addition. So uh, what we find out by this point is uh, kind of more of the backstory of Nehalenia slash the Dead Moon Circus. She in particular was after the power of the golden crystal, which is the power of the, the crystal protected by Elios, which is Pegasus's real name. And he does have a human form. Uh, like, a physical form, but um, Nehalenia has had it captive this whole time, so that's kind of why Pegasus has been running around in in dreams. Well, mostly just hiding out in, in Chibiusa's dream, but still. And yeah. it's kind of pretty clear that, like, Nehalenia was, like, interested in Elios romantically, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because she does look significantly, like, older, and she has this uh, kind of obsession with youth and
2: beauty classic magical girl villain sure yes <laughs> you see a lot of those in the genre mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you see a lot of those in sailor moon now is not even the first <laughs> yes definitely <laughs> but i like Nahelenia's design i do think yes. she's very beautiful she is yes yes she's interesting and compelling and it's also revealed that zirconia is literally Nahelenia's reflection yes which i think think is so cool <laughs> so so the whole time the amazon s quartet are very worshipful of Nehellenia and very disdainful toward zirconia mm-hmm. and here's where you find it no zirconia is just Nehellenia's reflection yeah I, that's such an interesting touch mm-hmm. i love
1: it <laughs> yeah because um the quartet were kind of like Running around being kids in the middle of a, a random place, almost like an enchanted forest type of environment, and mm. Nihelinia comes to them with power, basically. And you know their dreams were turned into these orbs that they've been using the whole time. It's implied that like they will have to uh, grow up if they give up those dreams. By
2: yeah, here's something. <laughs> mm-hmm. Instead of doing the one, two, three and doing a bondage and a pull at the mirror and you stick your head in and it's <laughs> uh, yucky. Yeah. The Amazon S quartet shoot these orbs like pool balls. Yes. It's cute. Mm-hmm. It's very it's it's much cuter. It's it bounces around and usually hits the target in the back. It's Yeah. Which means they they use it for slapstick too. It's very cute. Like, with with the
1: kind of final battle here, they have to go. To the dead circus themselves, uh, all the their guardians do. and mm-hmm. they have to well, protect Chibusa to Moon, um, who is now being uh, captured because, like they finally finally put it together that uh, she is the one with Pegasus. She is the golden mirror. and um you know they they can use her golden mirror to access Pegasus and draw him out and threaten her life in order to get him to. Enter his body, yeah. thus awakening the golden crystal, so that Nehalenia can use it to free herself from her prison.
2: Um, yes, and that's when she just emerges, and Zirconia is torn apart because now it's not Zirconia in the mirror; now it's Nehalenia. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's here, yes, and she's again. She's so imposing. She's such a I, I love her design mm-hmm. so much. Yeah, yeah. She really does feel like the big bad lady villains you look at like your mistress nine or your um or your uh, queen barrel and you see kind of like a ramping up of that design sensibility in helenia sure like sh- she looks like the same kind of train of thought taken just a little bit further with her neat like yellow vertical slit eyes like ah oh, she's cool looking i love her and so she she blasts the heck out of everybody. <laughs> yes. Uh, Zirconia tries to do a mirror trick with the with the dreams and to tempt them away, but all the sailor sent are you, like, no. Most important thing is saving the world. Whatever we got this, yes. and everyone gets blasted to heck by Nehelenia, just absolutely to bits. Hmm. Hmm. But yeah. the Amazonas quartet who have done been betrayed. Yes. They've been betrayed real bad. And Zirconia kind of tries to siphon their power. And then Ami is like, hey, if you break those those uh, orbs you're carrying, you're not going to, this will stop happening. Yes. And they're reluctant to because this is what they think will keep them young forever. This is what they keep, They contains their dreams. Mm-hmm. But they do it. And they break free of Nehlenia's control and now they're free to do basically whatever they want. And they sure do whatever they want. It's quite fun. Oh, (laughs) boy, do they do whatever they
1: want. I (laughs) mean, they were already kind of because like even before they captured their orbs, they they like, switched out chibi moon with a blow-up dollar like a little balloon
2: dollar thing yeah for no other reason than they wanted to ride pegasus
1: we, we don't want to save you we want to ride the horse yeah
2: it's so funny
1: and it doesn't even work yeah
2: that was the first moment where you see them having like a respect for chibi moon yeah when Jin Jin is like hey don't you feel like she's beating us even though we're obviously stronger mm-hmm that was such an interesting moment watching it now with someone who knows what their relationship is in the manga. Yeah, for sure. But they uh, they do one of their classic pranks on the Hellenia. Yes. <laughs> they realize, thanks to Palapala Pala doing a fun little trick, that this wasn't what gave them their magic. Mm-hmm. They had those already. And so while Nehalenia is focused on blasting everyone, Palapala switches the golden crystal with a pineapple. (laughs) Yes, and it's so funny because the the reveal is like she's
1: doing a big villain speech and holds out something and it's like the golden crystal, and they're all looking. Like, that's the golden crystal. Are you sure? That's
2: a pineapple for sure, yeah. And there's even a shot where, like, attention hasn't been drawn to it yet, but you can see the little leaves poking up above (laughs) her fingers. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. Mm -hmm. And then they they give the golden crystal to Sailor Moon, Mm -hmm. and she tries to call on it. But Nehelenia has, like, swallowed up people's ability to dream, has kind of, like, hmm. drawn down the darkness over humanity's dreams, and since that's where the power of the golden crystal comes from, Sailor Moon can't use it. Yes.
1: It ends up being up to uh, Sailor, TV to Moon, to, to save the day in the way, and her, her yeah. ability to reach out to everyone. So, in in general, especially children, we see, but, like, really everyone around the world, uh, she she really called out to everyone, so... Imagine you're in this like doom and gloom world and suddenly this giant pink girl shows up in the sky and talks to everyone, which is what happens. But she she begs everyone to to pray and say moon crisis power and give them the power of their dreams. And it works. It activates the golden crystal.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And This is made possible also because uh, Pegasus has given up and in his kind of um, haze, because Memorial is bedridden, He visits the temple where Helios is the high priest. Mm. And Helios is apologizing. He's like, I'm sorry, I have failed. And is the one who's like, no, actually, like, people's dreams are more resilient than you think. And that's what gives him, that was what gave Helios the courage to, like, cheer Chibi Moon on and let her know that the power comes from, from people's dreams. Mm-hmm. it's it's a moment of Memoro being useful in a way that isn't just like suddenly showing up and throwing a thing
3: mm-hmm. like
2: actually kind of being a character instead of boyfriend and like showing like kind of a gentleness and an optimism that i i like i i wish he was a better developed character because in that scene i actually kind of liked the guy <laughs> i see i see and then they do a great big blast to Nihilenia, Mm-hmm. And the day is saved. Here's one thing that's interesting about supers.
1: Nobody dies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Salamone did temporarily
2: tie in the middle of the show, but in general... Yeah, but yeah. usually in the finale, the inners all die. <laughs> 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 and then they get revived. So I was expecting that to happen and it didn't, which was weird. Yeah. But then the we get the ending like the the final episode is kind of weird and kind of interesting uh-huh maybe this is where i use my patented catchphrase this is where it gets weird <laughs> yeah uh so
1: yeah the final the final episode i mean it's still you know it's interesting it's good it's it's mm-hmm. it's fun um you know you get like this kind of final showdown one last try at getting back at everyone cuz Basically, what's happening is that, like, because she lost, the the circus tent, I guess, is going up. Uh, Nelenia is going to be sent back to the dark side of the moon, the place where she came from, and basically go back to being trapped in a prison. And we do see how, you know, she was the queen of an asteroid. And, you know, she was, like, loved for, for her youth and beauty. So, of course, she became obsessed with that. And she, that was her dream, was to stay young and beautiful forever. And then the mirror showed her this disturbing form that basically was just zirconia, um, <laughs> unfortunately. She she was, like, haunted by this vision of her future self. She she consumed the dreams of all, all of those around her, which is how they turned into these, like, uh, lemuras, right? These creatures. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it was in that that she was uh, sealed away by Queen Serenity. In the, in the now, like, Sailor Moon is still also pitting her, like, wow, you must have been so lonely and stuff. And she was, like, furious, like, don't you look at me like that. Don't let you look at me with those pitiful eyes, right? Yeah. Like, again, Sailor Moon, like, for all her faults or whatever, she still always approaches things with love in the end. That's why she's the main hero. And that, mm-hmm. like, Nehalenia can't stand that, right? Um, and in her fury, she... She throws Chibiusa off, uh, who's unconscious, off the edge of this platform. So we get this whole
2: off you wild
1: go. Seer- scene with Sailor Moon diving after her and uh, transforming into Princess Serenity so that she can catch up to
2: her, which I'm not sure how that works, but okay. Mm-hmm. I was expecting wings. <laughs> I was expecting, you know, sometimes it's the end of a magical girl show, you get wings for no sure, reason. Sure, yeah, yeah. Like, I watch Simphogee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to wings for no reason, but dress fly? Okay. Yeah. All right. Dress fly. Whatever.
1: (laughs) Um, So it's like, I guess maybe it's like the purest form of herself, whatever, but like it's what she needs to catch up to her. She does, but she's still unconscious. So she's like, you know, begging for her to wake up and yeah it's a very close call but they do uh she wakes up yeah. and the golden crystal helps them to land on earth safely yeah. so everything's okay no splat thank god um
2: no it <laughs> would have been a hell of an ending <laughs>
3: yeah
2: she was still clutching the golden crystal which sailor moon can't activate on her own yes room. yes hmm. so she's like i need you to wake up because i can't use the crystal on my own and if we don't use the crystal we are defo gonna die yes yes Meanwhile, Helenia doesn't quite
1: go. She does uh, put herself back in her little mirror um, so she can be beautiful again. And it floats away, which is important to the very beginning of the next season. Listen to that episode mm-hmm. to find out more. <laughs> um, mm-hmm, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, then after everything, you know, because everything is back to normal, that means the world of Elysion is okay. So Elios can leave. And yeah, and that's the end of the, the series. So, yeah, that's the end of it. Is there anything else that you wanted to point out or bring up regarding the series in general?
2: Oh, here's the thing there's a lot of romance, and there's a lot of romance with children, which is weird, which I get though, because like the characters are 15, and when you're 15 and you're a person who experiences romantic attraction, Mm -hmm. the world is very suddenly alive with like possibilities that you do not think about. But one thing that I found actually approached it with any degree of, like, sensitivity is Shingo's crush on Ami. Mm,
3: yes.
2: Yes. Because, like, she's kind and gentle with him. She's clearly not romantically interested in okay. him, but she's not, like, awkward with him. Mm-hmm. And, like, she treasures him as a friend. She says as much. And it's like, I kind of wish the rest of the age gap relationships were treated as kind of delicately as that one was because mm-hmm. they're hit or miss but that was actually a really good episode yeah it's saying
1: something that that's the episode with the young boy pursuing an older
2: girl yeah oh yeah you're not wrong mm-hmm. that's the only time it's also the episode where tiger's eyes strikes out the hardest
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes yes um
2: <laughs> that guy sucks
1: it's so interesting and like He feels threatened by Shingo, which is very funny because it's like, that's a kid, but okay. It's whatever. But yeah, it's just like, like, I mean, in general, the show does have a lot more sexuality than we might expect in other similar shows for the similar target audience. And, you know, especially now, (laughs) it's definitely not the case that you're going to see anything like this anymore. Yeah, So it's like, it just like, in hindsight, it's just like a lot of stuff that's just kind of just mostly cringe
2: if anything yeah yeah that's there's a lot of ooh. yeah when you're watching the original Sailor Moon now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah like the
1: the episode where uh, Mamoru's friends meet Usagi and Chibiusa for the first time and they're just like totally whatever about <laughs> about like the fact that their friend who is also in college has a 15 year old girlfriend. Like, no one questions it or is like, hey, what's up with that? Like, after the fact, like, no, it's just, uh, I mean, thing, the the woman who's there who does uh, have a crush on him is, like, not threatened by Usagi, which is interesting, but then later figures it out that, like, oh, yeah, no, she's actually seriously, like, his girlfriend. How nice for them, which is, like, I don't (laughs) know.
2: And she also figures out that Usagi is Sailor Moon. Mm hmm. Um, because when Sailor Moon is in mortal peril, Mamoru is calling out Usako, his pet name for her. Yes. And Sari's awake during this. And so the reason she gives up on Mamoru is not because he's dating a 15 year old, but because she (laughs) feels she can't compete with a magical girl. (laughs) I mean, fair, 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 mm-hmm. but like he's dating a fifteen-year-old. <laughs> <Sorry>. Yes.
1: <laughs> no, it's so it's it's always we every time we talk about this because it it happens in the main series here, this uh, the original adaptation. Yeah, it's never good, and it happens in PGSM, which you also talked about on that episode. Yes, uh, It's just uh, it's it's always just like, did we really need this? Was this part of him like nest this this change necessary because he is a high school student which is still like not great Um, but he is a high school student in the comic and therefore in the crystal version etc
2: yeah.
1: which is like again it's not great but it's better <laughs> it's better than him being a literal adult again just because it would be cool to him, for him to drive a car is the yeah. reason
2: it's, I like my Morgan best in stars because he's not a frown <laughs> yeah <laughs> I see <laughs> Okay. I don't like him. I openly don't like him. Uh, that's fair. He has fair. a couple moments in supers because he's good with kids. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple moments where it's like the episode where everyone's kind of trying to get to the bottom of what's going on with Chibiusa and her crush. They can tell she has a crush. They can't tell that it's on a horse. <laughs> yeah. But like he ta- he talks to her respectfully. He talks to her like she's older than she is like Mm -hmm. and yeah he does get the privilege of being the cool dad because he doesn't have to deal with taking care of her day by day and stopping her from doing nonsense but like (laughs) there are a couple scenes where I'm like you know if Usagi and the others would well if Usagi mostly would talk to Chibi Yusa the way he does they wouldn't have as many fights (laughs) Mm, yeah for sure because one kind of defining trait about Chibi Yusa is that she's kind of, she's kind of mature for her age. Yes. Or at least she fancies herself very mature for her age. <laughs> yeah. And she does not respond well to being treated like a kid. But she responds mm-hmm. extremely well to, like, the girls or to Mamoru, because they typically don't talk to her like she's a kid. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting character trait she has, where she's like, mm-hmm. very convinced i mean
1: i don't think that's necessarily just for her
2: yeah because like oh, no. that's like a thing
1: with kids in general It's like if you talk to them like they're not necessarily like they're adults but like not like like don't baby them like yeah treat them like uh like you know they're individuals or other humans it's like you know generally going to work out well like if yeah. you try to meet them at their level you know absolutely
2: yeah. i'm a i'm a huge kid liker i love them and <laughs> It's just much more fun to talk to them on their level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just much more fun that way, and I think it's it's not just that Chibi wants to be considered adult. It's that like if you compare her to the other little kid characters, she kind of is a little bit more mature than they are. Yeah, yeah. Like mm-hmm. you compare her to her friends, and she's kind of she's learning a little bit more restraint. She's learning to be a little more introspective than her peers are like hmm. you can see that actually for her age she's pretty mature she's still yeah. a kid so she's not a mature person but for <laughs> her age she's she's got a lot of grown-up character traits so seeing hmm. mamoru kind of recognize and speak to those traits are moments when i'm like okay this guy gets it yeah. I think that's everything we have to talk about.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think we're good. Yeah. This is such a weird season. <laughs> it really is. But but it was it's been a delight to discuss. Um so yeah. yes, with with all of that, we are down to the final question. So Final question? Yes, Kat, what do you hope to see in the future of the magical girl genre?
2: I alluded to this earlier, but I love ensemble series um because when i was growing up as a little girl most shows only had one girl character that character had to be hyper competent usually the smartest one and was usually kind of a jerk like sassy to the point of why would anyone talk to you Mm -hmm. and there was really only one mode of strong protagonist femininity presented to me when i was a kid Mhm. But you have shows like Sailor Moon and more recently My Little Pony Friendship is Magic that show that like you can be powerful and save the world whether you're brave or timid, whether you're strong or weak, whether you're a romantic, whether you're whatever ray is. Like And you see, like, in My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, that was the first time in my life I had ever seen fashion girl presented as a character worth emulating. Usually Mm. fashion girl, the writers are very dismissive toward her. But Rarity was like, no, she's intelligent. She's driven. She's an artist. She's a little bratty, Mm -hmm. but she's got a lot of admirable heroic traits. And you see it a lot in full ensemble cast pre-cure series, especially, They take care to present a wide range of personalities and give them equal chances to be heroes. So I'd love to see that in Magical Girl. And I want to see more of it. I want to see more shows like Smile Precure or Friendship is Magic, where Mm. all kinds of little girls can point at the screen and say, I'm that one. That one's me. And that's someone like me being cool and powerful. Because when Mm. I was growing up, we didn't really have a lot of them.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Your experience with, with Sailor Moon, did, I think, matches a lot of others where that it was, you know, the first time they ever really got to see a
2: variety of of girls. And that's it, super mm-hmm. important. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it is. It is. It, it took me kind of a long time. I went through a phase, especially when I was in high school, where I was kind of, a, I could be kind of a jerk sometimes. And I didn't realize it at the time. But as an adult, it's because I'd internalized this idea that the smart girl is a jerk. Mm. and that's what's expected of you that's how you show everyone you're the smart girl Mm. and like that wasn't okay but when they only have one girl character they have to pile traits on they can't make her submissive because then their only girl character is submissive they can't make her dim because you can't say the only girl character is dim so Mm -hmm. they're hyper competent and sassy and bratty and super smart and it's like it's never an appealing character Mm -hmm. and if i had i think if i had internalized girl character less than i had i mean less than characters like ami who i internalized but maybe stopped thinking about when i was between sailor moon viewings would i have had healthier friendships would i have been better able to communicate with the people around me maybe Mm -hmm. maybe probably yeah it's like and my my sister's eldest my sister my sister's kids are the center of my world i adore them i'm a big kid liker i love being an auntie and my niece is very timid she she speed ran the timid child to class clown pipeline but she's uh she's just like her auntie now (laughs) she's (laughs) which is oh no oh poor thing but when she first started school she was very very timid she was very shy and she's very fussy she's very particular about how she wants things and she melts down easily if things aren't exactly right Hmm. and i want to show her shows where like a detail-oriented particular cerebral character is still a cool hero like everyone else
3: Mm -hmm.
2: i want her to see that because i think she's great and i want her to see people like her being great Hmm. yeah yeah my nephew i'm not worried about he's got (laughs) bulletproof confidence and he has no impulse control so i don't know if it's media so much as his own primal urges that guides his actions bless him interesting (laughs) he's a four-year-old boy he's (laughs) i'll say this he's got incredible emotional intelligence for a four-year-old boy but he is still a four-year-old boy so he's (laughs) a wild animal but sure i think the answer to this question from a lot of your viewers is probably more kind of mature and nuanced stuff but Hmm. i don't know if that's the case i'll be honest with you i only listen to Sparkle side chats when i've seen the anime because otherwise why would i But (laughs) sure, that's fair.
1: No, no, no. That's that's a lot of people, I think. (laughs) But
2: for me, I wanna know that kids are looking at it and whether they pick Cure March or Cure Peace, whether they pick Rarity or Applejack, like I want them to see somebody like themselves being cool and see Mm -hmm. that in themselves as well. That's what Mm -hmm. I want. Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. I think what you're you're saying is it's not necessarily like that different from what others say to answer this oh, question wow. it's just like a i think a lot of people talk about what they want to see to like kind of please them but you're thinking more about like the child audience and stuff like that which is mm. you know different but you know, <laughs> i definitely feel the same way in general like one of the reasons why Precure is so successful is the, the variety of, of girls that they show as yeah. potential like role models and and all that.
2: Oh, yeah. You made a comment because I was I, I told you before I was listening to the Smile Precure episode of Sparkle Side Chats today, <laughs> but you. you mentioned something that really stuck with me about Precure. You said that Precure is like Cure March is the big sister character, but all of Precure is effectively a big sister for the little kids who are watching. Mm-hmm. Like every Precure is a big sister. And that yes. really stuck with me because those are the kinds of shows I like the best. Where mm-hmm. every character is somebody's big sister. <laughs> where everyone mm-hmm. can find somebody to look up to just for themselves, like that suits them. Yes, yes.
1: Oh, I cannot wait for you to watch Cure Butterfly's debut episode.
2: I love her so much. You're going to love the episode. Not so just much. for her, but, but yeah. Oh yeah, because from what I've seen, there's also a lot of the bird, the nerd. Yes. And I love the bird, the nerd. I love him. He's cute. Oh, here's, a, yes. here's another simple answer to your question. Boys. Mm-hmm. Magical boys. Hmm. Not tuxedo mask. Mark your wings, please.
1: yes sounds good
2: I have only got the one so far and I love him so much
1: (laughs) yes yes Hmm. what do you think about uh, I guess like all magical
2: boy teams neat neat and good risky (laughs) because the magical hero genre is so similar to tokusatsu Mm -hmm. that in some series It's basically just the gender of the leads that kind of determines where, what box you put it in. Mm -hmm. So it's like, on one hand, would people recognize an all-boy magical show, or would they just call it a tokusatsu? Yeah, yeah. If it's not gender, where's the line between them? That's, I don't Mm -hmm. know enough about tokus. All I know is that that's kind of, that's the perception. Sure, sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, very interesting. Um, yes, Kat, thank you so much for coming back on Sparkle Side Chats.
2: I, I always have a wonderful time. Genuinely, <laughs> I just like talking to you. I'm gonna be honest with you. I've never had a bad time talking to a Yumi. I don't expect I ever will. Thank you. <laughs> yes. So where can people
1: find you and your work online uh, so they can talk to you about supers and other
2: magical series? You can find me on Twitter at Catling Gun. That's C-A-T-L-I-N-G, Gun. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> and you can find my work, both my podcasts and the games I've written at PeachGardenGames.com. Yes, definitely looking forward to more more stuff from you in that regard.
1: Um, yay! <laughs> yay! Great yay. Serious, Thank you again. And I hope you have a great rest of your day.
2: <laughs> Ain't much left of it. <laughs> so You too. You take care. Thank <laughs> you.
1: Whether this was your first or last time listening, thank you so much for checking out this episode of Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. We hope you check out the rest of our chats over two years of magical content and counting. And if you like what you heard, tell a friend or tell five friends or tell the whole world by talking about us online. If you use social media, don't forget to use the hashtag Sparkle Side Chats when talking about and sharing the podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MagicalGirlIu, spelled A-Y-U, and you can find me at Ayushinoes, A-Y-U-S-H-E-K-N-O-W-S. You can also email us at sparklesidechats at gmail.com. Did you know we also take recommendations for future guests and topics? Just fill out the form in the show notes. You can even suggest yourself if you're so bold. The very best free way to support the podcast is using your podcast platform to give a rating and review of our little show. This gives the big internet machines the message that they should share it with more people, and I think we all want that, don't we? You can also join the Discord server for this podcast to talk about Magical Girls 24-7, often chatting directly with me and both previous and upcoming guests of the podcast.
0: The Forever link is in the show notes as well
1: as on the socials, so be sure to stop by. Show notes can be found on your podcast platform of choice or at our main landing page at anchor.fm sparkleside. If you have a few bucks, you can give a one-time donation at ko-fi.com or kofi.com slash You can also commit to a monthly membership, which grants you access to bonus episodes about Magical Girls and adjacent content such as movies, comics, and other series that Magical Girl fans tend to also love. All it takes is $5 a month, but if you want to rank up, that'll give you discounts on art commissions and monthly requests as well. Music credits, as always, are also in the show notes. Original podcast music is by Hazel you can find her on twitter at a few bruises thanks again for listening and remember you are magical forever and always see you next time